Hi, I'm Terry, Instagram's sassy sober mum. Welcome to my podcast, Sober Stories from Everyday People, bringing you stories from people just like you and I. The aim of this podcast is to share our experiences with drinking and how we got and stayed successfully sober. Hello and welcome to this week's Sober Stories from Everyday People. Uh, Today I've got Sarah from Colchester in Essex and she celebrated being four months sober yesterday, which is also one, two, three days. (laughs) So thank you so much, Sarah, for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited. I've been counting down the last two months since I could get on here. So very, very excited. I love that. That is so cool. (laughs) Um, So why don't we dive in then? So why don't you tell us a little bit about who you are and we can get to know you a bit? Yeah, so my background is in marketing. So I've been to uni twice um, and ever since then I've worked within agencies. I've been self-employed. I've covered pretty much every industry you can, but I've always been in design and marketing like as my main my main calling. So with that has come a lot of work dues, a lot of entertaining, a lot of drinking. Um, um. But now I've got a one-year-old. I got married this year. Um, so now I'm, I'm like boring sensible mum now so the marketing life I've recently started back in a corporate role so I'm in a marketing role within insurance um so I'm now massively dodging bullets everywhere when it comes to comes to a boozy job um but yeah I'm a proper proper home bird these days we've got a massive family um my husband's got four siblings and I've got two and we just we spend time with all the kids and all the family and all the animals and yeah I just I love being at home I love watching Netflix and sitting on my sofa <laughs> yeah it's uh, it's underrated isn't it being a home bird I love that too <laughs> I never used to I mean you wouldn't catch me in for at least one day of a weekend before but now you're lucky if I leave the house apart from to go into the office twice a week <laughs> yeah oh well congratulations on your recent wedding oh thank you um, yeah I got married last year actually and it was um it was super and yours was yeah. sober wasn't it I wish mine had been yeah. now with <laughs> yeah well maybe we can get into that a bit um so take us back to the beginning what describe your life with alcohol what was that like so when I first got these questions over the the first thing I wrote down was absolute bloody chaos <laughs> because I, I genuinely can't think of any other way of describing it I mean I do not remember a time where alcohol wasn't in my life. Um, My mum, whether she would admit so or not, um, is an addicted drinker. I don't have a relationship with her. Um, So I have like super clear memories of trying her Alka-Pops when I was like six or seven years old. And I remember me and my sister using the word merry and saying that that's how we felt when we had a sip of one of her Bacardi breezes on a Saturday night. And it was like, it was like a thing. It was, we'd have a pizza takeaway and mum would let us have a sip of a Bacardi breezer. And with hindsight now, like as a mum myself, I just think, what is that? Like that's, Mm. it's just not acceptable behavior. Um, and obviously growing up then with a parent that drank every day, I think that very much normalized my own drinking in my own head because I thought, well, I'm not drinking every day. So, so I should be fine. It doesn't matter if I get absolutely bamboozled on a weekend because on a Wednesday night I'm drinking tea. So Mm. yeah, so I think that sort of battle against my mum's behavior growing up and my own 
alone is probably why I allowed this to go on for so long. Um, I say so long, I'm not actually 30 yet, but it was, when you start at 14, 15, it's mm. half of my, half of my existence has been binging at least every single weekend. Yeah. Um, so yeah, um, I started drinking heavily at the age of 14. Um, it was with friends. It was the age old, oh, let's get a little bottle of vodka and go to the local park. And, mm. and it was, it was house parties and all that sort of thing before I was able to go out in town. I mean, I was on the cusp of the generation who could go out underage. And then it's sort of, I, by the time I was 18, that's when the underage drinking was kind of clamped down on. So I had nothing holding me back from it, really. Um, I was also I was also on the whole alternative music scene, as they say now, um, tattoos, house parties, drinking ridiculous amounts with all the all the sort of the black sheep kids, the ones that we all dressed with and listened to angry, shouty music. And I think growing up with such a mismatched home life and not really knowing where I fit into that, I think I just became friends with all these misfits and had a paved my own dysfunctional family. And mm. all of that was just centered around drinking. So I think, to be honest, by the time I sort of got into my early 20s, I had known nothing different, literally from my earliest memories right through to my teenage years and early 20s. So, yeah, I mean, then after all that, when I sort of started college and university, it was then, it was freshers, it was every year, it was making new friends. Oh, you make friends at uni, you go out and drink with them, or it's student night, so now you can drink on a Tuesday or a Thursday and no one can say anything, and... And then it wasn't actually until I was 19 that I can, well, no, probably 19 to 21, I convinced myself that I was drinking normally now because I wasn't going out in town. So I had a job in a village pub where I lived at the time, just outside of Colchester. And I worked there for four years. And then because I was drinking in a pub, I was drinking with sort of the run of the mill middle aged customers. I was friends with all the punters. So I wasn't having late nights, I wasn't having the 4 a.m. benders. But I was starting really early in the afternoon and then staying till close and having lock-ins. So the problem remained exactly the same, but I thought that because I'd changed the landscape that it was normal mm. and it's what everyone did. Um, so, yeah, that pretty much carried on until probably until I met my husband. And that, well, I say met my husband. I, I met him working in the pub. I served him when I was about 19. So, And then come, I think I was 23 when we got together. Um, he's got a son. Um, so I kind of assumed the whole stepmom role at 23, um, which at the time was like mind-blowing, like yeah. all this responsibility that I had. And it, it toned back the frequency of my drinking for sure. Like we had him every fortnight. We still do. And I think that really made me rein it in a bit because I didn't want him to see me drunk. I've always been a firm believer that children shouldn't see their parents drunk. And that's probably from what I went through. Mm. Um, so I never, ever wanted to replicate that. But all it ended up meaning was that on the weekends that we didn't have him, we just went so much harder. And I think that just sort of carried on. It was like every other weekend get absolutely battered feel like absolute death it's okay I'm having a weekend off and then go again and it was just a cycle it was like a fortnightly cycle continuously for years and then obviously COVID hit (laughs) and when COVID hit I was actually genuinely hand on my heart completely relieved that we couldn't go out anymore I was like okay I've got some time away from it all I don't have to keep doing this and I loved it but then I thought, you know what, this is a really natural break. It's, it, everything's coming to a natural end. And then when everything opens up again, I just won't be a drinker anymore and it'll be fine. <laughs> that went wrong. Mm. The first, first night of having friends round, we then started having house parties as soon as we were allowed people round because we didn't want the pub restrictions of having to buy food. 
and all that sort of thing. And that's that's when I would go nuts because there was no closing time. There was being able to order alcohol and delivery and be able to sort of raid the fridge and set some stuff aside for myself. And that's when I realised that I was not drinking normally compared to my friends. Like I would get ferociously territorial over a can of dark fruits in the fridge and go nuts if someone drank it because I didn't drink beer. So I was like, what, someone has taken something that is mine and now I have to stop and I don't want to stop. Mm. I've never actually said that out loud before. It makes me sound absolutely nuts. But I would literally, I would squirrel my own things away and just put, put aside supplies. And I mean, over the years, I have made some horrendous decisions with alcohol, be it in relationships, with drugs, with dangerous situations. But I think... As I as it got through the whole COVID stuff, and it was co- it was then in my own home um, that that definitely shifted things for me. I mean, me and my husband said to each other at the time, "We don't want our house. We're, we're adults. We we do not want our house known as the party house. Yeah. Um, it's just not what we want to do anymore." So, yeah. Then obviously, 2021 in February, I fell pregnant, and we'd been trying for 18 months. So I was absolutely over the moon did not enter my head to to drink I had my last cigarette the morning before I took my pregnancy test and didn't touch one again I was completely I was all in there was no way I was going to do anything to jeopardize my pregnancy but then afterwards I still didn't want to drink so towards the end of my pregnancy was when we moved into the house we're in now so we're away from village life um with the village pubs and the same faces, same stuff every weekend. And we thought, you know what, we're in a neutral setting. So we can't just pop to a village boozer and there'd be all of our friends in there anymore. Um, so that should, in theory, take me away from it. Um, and then all that happened was, again, when I was when I finally plucked up the courage to have my daughter um, with a babysitter, well, she was with my mother-in-law the first time I went out, it just spiralled and I was straight back there. And it terrified me that... Even with a tiny baby at home, I could drink to the point where I just didn't know who the hell I was anymore. Mm. And yeah, and that's when I started to realise that, uh, yeah, something's got to give here because I'm not the person I was when I had no responsibility. That an actual tiny human being relies on me. Mm. Um, and yeah, that, but it, again, as much as it pains me, it didn't stop me for another few months. It really didn't. I mean, and actually, I think my drinking got worse. The rows of my husband got worse. My attitude got worse. Um, I, we lost a very dear friend of mine in February at the age of 31, and he was actually engaged to my sister. So mm-hmm. that loss hit our family like a freight train. And I I always thought, like, I'm, I would never deal with a bad situation with alcohol. I'm not going to do that. And then I find myself walking back from Colchester Town at four o'clock in the morning in my pyjamas on my own because rightly so my sister has told me to get out because I was being an ass. And then I got home, my husband's terrified, my daughter's thankfully none the wiser. And I'm just thinking, okay, the, I I can't drink anymore. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. I can't do this. Um, so yeah, I think I naturally, I think that was about the time I reached out to you actually originally, um, because my husband has always had a similar relationship with alcohol and he, we were, we were just looking at sober content online and I was like, oh my God, have you seen this lady's account? It's brilliant. And then I didn't actually realize it was, it was 90% of the problem was me. And I was like, and then I was sort of a little lurker in the whole sober community for a while. Um, throughout my wedding and my honeymoon, I was like, right, I'm just going to get those out of the way. And then because I had my Hindu is in Brighton and it was at the Alcatraz bar. I was like, they literally do nothing else but alcohol. So Mm. we'll just see, we'll see these ones through and then we'll get the honeymoon done. After my honeymoon, I didn't, I didn't drink for two months. 
And I, it wasn't even on purpose. I was just sort of going, oh, we'll see if we can get for another weekend. Well, how about mm-hmm. trying another weekend? Before I knew it was two months and I knew I felt so much better. But obviously, as we all think, oh, I bet I can moderate now. Yeah. <laughs> I'm fixed. I'm saved. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So then my final night of drinking was it was August the 7th. We had a, cu- a couple of friends around. So it was just me, my husband, and our two closest friends who are also together. They came around at about three o'clock in the afternoon and we were just playing games and playing games and drinking. I was like, okay, this is fine. I can do this because what could possibly go wrong? <laughs> and I got so unbelievably blackout drunk after they left that my husband Poor bugger, I don't know how he puts up with me. He had to effectively barricade me in my bedroom for my own safety because I had just gone mad. And I don't remember why, probably over nothing. Um, mm. But I was so temperamental towards the end of my drinking that someone could say something to me and I would just snap. And I think I had so many issues of my own that I wasn't addressing that they would all just flood out when I was drunk and I would just turn into this blubbering mess talking yeah. about problems that no one even knew existed. Yeah. And yeah, so the the following morning I wake up absolutely covered in bruises with little to no memory of how horrible I'd been. I didn't even get told off by my husband. He was that worried. He just said to me, he was like, we can't do this. Like this, you can't drink at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. And I, before he even said it, I, I was like, I'm not doing this anymore. I mean, imagine if my daughter had woken up and dealt with her mum literally going absolutely batshit and not knowing and that would be terrifying I mean Mm. thank god she's not going to remember any of my drinking anyway um but yeah I just to now come to a very long story to an end I just realized shit's got to stop it's got to stop and I haven't touched anything since so yeah wow Wow. Massive well done and massive yeah, thank respect you. to you. Um, I, I think, yeah, I, there's, there's a lot in that story and um, yeah, it makes, makes, I don't know why, it makes me feel a bit emotional actually. I, <laughs> and I, I think the reason why I feel a bit emotional is because of what you said at the very beginning, which is very, very similar to my life. Um, and that was about um, having no relationship with your mum and your mum mm. being a big drinker my mum was exactly the same and all of my life when I look back now there are just there are so many chaotic moments in my childhood that were just my normal Um, and I didn't know really I mean what is normal anyway you know we have to say that in inverted commas (laughs) because normal there isn't a normal is there but I I would remember going to friends houses and looking at the dynamic between their parents and and looking at the dynamic between them and their mum or the way that their mum you know bothered about them needing gloves or I don't know just all those basic things and I I would feel so jealous yeah I just feel like I don't have that and I I was really aware of that and um you know I don't know what the um the history is but with you and your mum but for me when I got to 19 I I felt like I hated my mum at that point I felt a lot of shame and I, I I was immature and I hated her and I just felt like she was ruining my life and I couldn't wait to get away from her and I moved to London 
I know, I know you, you, you stay in, you're in the same place, aren't you, that you were born yeah. in. I had to get away. And actually I didn't, I think I saw my mum again, um, when I was 21 and, uh, we found out that she was having an affair on my birthday, which is also Christmas day because she went oh. out and that was the last time that I saw her and I just oh, wow. didn't see her for 10 years after that. Cause I was just like, I, I, now I look back and I think what a great boundary that I put in place myself. Like a lot of people don't understand this thing that I've had to choose. I felt like I had to choose for my life. They don't understand when I say, Oh yeah, I didn't have a relationship, an adult relationship with my mom. People that have good relationships with their parents who are lucky, I think, you know, to have that, they just maybe don't always connect and don't understand why, um, people like me or maybe me and you, you know, have these kind of situations where we're not in touch with our, with yeah. our parents. Quite a big taboo, isn't it? My, yeah. My, I mean, one of my biggest pet hates, I mean, I have to bite my tongue so hard. I'm surprised it doesn't fall off when people say to me, you only get one mum. Oh, like, I guess. I've but it was, I, I only have one mum and that one mum never met my basic needs as a child. And I mean, some of the some of the things that we were put through at the hands of her drinking can make your hands, your hairs stand on end. Mm. And it's only now since stopping my own drinking and basically being the one to break that cycle with my yes. own daughter. Yes. The only thing I can do now to stop myself being raging and bitter about it all the time, mm. like I was for, for so long, mm-hmm. all I can do is just try and understand it. So I think yes. this... Me, me quitting drinking and choosing a life of sobriety is as is as much of an education for people who are worse off than me, mm. as it as well as making my own life better. So, yeah. I mean, I'm don't get me wrong. I I don't believe that I will ever have a relationship with my mum. I've made my peace with that. It's one of those things that when she's in my life, even when things are good, I'm still waiting for them to go yeah. bad again, yeah. and it makes me tense. Mm. So I I'm well aware of the fact that we are better apart and not not talking to each other. Yes. It, just, it just removes that layer of tension, it does. which I think removes any sort of triggers for drinking as well. Um, yes, yeah. But I, I, yeah. I mean, I do feel for her now, though, and I understand so much more yeah. about the the things the things that I hear in podcasts about what people used to do um, <clears throat> at the height of their drinking. I think, oh my god! Like I used to find, you know, the wholesalers, like places like Macro and Booker's, mm-hmm. they do those five liter bottle of vodka. I used to find them hidden in my washing basket when I was like 10 years old. And I think, shit, man, that's not normal. Mm. (laughs) That's really not normal behavior. Mm. Um, But now, rather than looking back as the angsty teen and thinking, oh, she's so embarrassing. My, all my friends think she's cool because she's, she's the drunk one that joins in when we have parties when I'm absolutely mortified thinking my mates, mums don't do that. But rather now I just think, I feel so sorry for her that she can't break that cycle and she has lost, her, her child and subsequently her granddaughter because of it yeah, yeah. and I, I, I think that's that I think that's a, a, a really really important point um and and I and I feel the same and actually being sober has really helped me to dissect my feelings around mm-hmm. that relationship and um un, unlike yourself so I, I didn't have any contact with her and she developed breast cancer um, and I saw her once when she was in remission, um, and she'd like lost her hair and all of this sort of thing. And, and she was still drinking really heavily and smoking. And I remembered thinking, I was about 30 at the time. And I remember thinking like, I'm really glad she's fine. Cause I don't wish her any harm. Of course, um, yeah. but like, 
I was really surprised, and this is way before I was considering any form of sobriety, but I was really surprised about the amount of wine and cigarettes that she was still she was still having whilst having this big scary thing. Yeah. You know, cancer. Um, anyway, so um, a few years later, I, I, so I lost touch with her almost again immediately because for the same reasons, I just couldn't deal with the dread and the anxiety mm. and, and also the perpetual disappointment that she just wasn't what I kind of, I guess, deep down wanted, if I'm being honest. Yeah. Um, and she was fine with that too because she didn't make an effort. And so it was almost like a, it was, it was we were both doing it. Yeah. But then I got contacted um, in 2015. I was pregnant with my second child and some and somebody on Facebook said I'm so sorry to hear about your mum and I yeah. thought oh that's it she's dead she's gone yeah. um, and she had she, she the cancer had come back aggressively and killed her within three days oh. and then that was a really weird feeling because it was like wow I didn't want contact with her but now you know that contact that opportunity has gone yeah there's no option anymore. there's no option now but do you know what I don't have regrets I don't have regrets because I very much I very much need peace in my life you know I've, I've spent a lot of time dealing with suffering and anxiety about this situation and I don't want to be a victim of it and yeah. part of my part of my kind of recovery from that situation because uh, I don't really use that term very much but recovering from that trauma if you like, um, was to find compassion for her. And I yeah. think by stopping drinking and realizing that I was making mistakes like she was, it just gave me a different lens. And it made me realize that actually, yeah, I felt bad for her that she was on the Ferris wheel and she couldn't mm. get off. And that I feel very grateful that I did get off and that I'm here today and my children won't like you, you know, you feel yeah. with yours, they won't see those sorts of events it's not going to be perfect right because I still lose my my head and I still get yeah. angry about silly things but you know they're not going to see any of that like weird behavior that it will I'm all be authentic I think that that's yeah. the thing for me but what's an all parenting I mean I saw something the other day saying in order to gentle parent you need a gentle child I mean for me I've just I've just got to step up and fight back <laughs> so no, <laughs> it's not going to be perfect she's going to drive me nuts if she's anything like I was yeah but she will get the most authentic version of me she can possibly yes. get and it's that is what I can I can yeah. let her rely on and when she's older it's not going to be a case of sorry I think you've broken your foot but I can't take you to A&E because I'm pissed and it's four in the afternoon yeah she's yeah. never going to have that yeah. she, I'm not going to be the parent that relies on all of her friends mums to do the do the ferrying around because my mum was always too pissed to do the runarounds so all of my friends mums must have thought oh why does Sarah's mum yeah. not pull away? And yeah. yeah, I just, I'm never, all of those tiny little things that you, you see as an adult and think, oh, that's awful. She's not going to have any of that. And that, um, I live for that in a minute. It's, it yes. makes me so excited to be yeah. able to give her like everything, just yeah. all of me all, all the time. I mean, she'll get me when I'm cranky as hell when I'm ill, but mm -hmm. she's never going to get me being all weird and slurry and yes passed yeah. out on the sofa she's she's not going to have that she deserves better than that and that like that that kind of like that walking on eggshells that you have when you have yeah. a heavily drinking parent you walk in and are you going to get like the really tired hungover angry version of your mom mm -hmm. or are you going to get the the like everything's amazing you know she's your best mate yeah you know because I I found that really I didn't I didn't feel I think because of that environment I didn't feel very anchored 
in my family home and my family yeah. life, I was always walking through the door at night thinking, oh God, what? What's she going to be like? What's she going to be like? And so what I love about what you've just said, and I think it's so true, is that, you know, your kids, your kids, my kids, they're going to get the authentic version of us. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that means that I might be in a bad, you know, bad mood and I might shout or do something non-gentle parenting which I always love the sound of but I always feel like I'm really bad at (laughs) it's a pipe dream (laughs) yeah yeah because yeah because I just I just yeah it just is not it's not how it just doesn't happen for me but um but I but I do feel like after those moments when I feel like I've gone maybe too far I do have the conversation I do say do you know what I mommy sorry like I I was in a bit of a bad mood I'm tired I shouldn't have shouted at you and you know you're blah, 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 blah. and I just I I own it do you know what I mean yeah absolutely if I if I've done something that I'm not proud of I know about it before anyone yeah. <laughs> so, before, I, I would apologize for stuff I didn't even know what I'd done just, assume, <laughs> just wake up and assume that an apology is necessary yeah. oh that's horrible isn't it that's really horrible um and so I'm, I also wanted to say I'm sorry for your recent loss as well oh, um, thank you that, yeah. that can't that can't have been easy for any of you um, well, my four month sobriety fell on what would have been his birthday yesterday and I know he would have been so proud of me so oh, that's lovely. probably taking the piss out of me and called me boring a little bit a few times but I I you know when you just know that it's two dates coincide for a nice reason so yeah, yeah taking the positives out of it there yeah exactly exactly um so I was very much like you and um well a lot a lot like many people that come on this podcast actually you wake up that morning and you just think you literally think the words I just can't do this anymore mm-hmm. And that is the feeling. That is the trigger that propels you into getting sober. So tell me what you did on that day. What did you do and how did you support yourself? So my my initial thing was behind the night before's makeup and a whole load of ugly Kim Kardashian crying, I just sobbed to my husband and said, I am done. I'm not doing this anymore. I made it very much a decision there and then. Downloading the sober app, I'm going to like structure all of the podcasts I bought Catherine Gray's books the first two um and I think I've read them in like a week um both of them so Mm -hmm. yeah I just I am very much an all or nothing kind of person I'm actually ironically since being sober I'm going through an assessment for an ADHD diagnosis which would explain why I am so gung-ho with everything so but that's helped me in sobriety massively yeah do you know what this is this is becoming such a prevalent thing that um so many and women especially are getting seeking and th- and then being diagnosed with ADHD and I, I was talking to a friend last night a really close friend who's also um got ADHD and I was saying I really feel like I've got ADHD traits <laughs> because and I was sort of like going through and I was I was saying it feels like um I've got superpowers though it's not for me it's not anything yeah. that I feel negative about or, or or ashamed of or and it's not even anything that I mean, my husband says, don't get diagnosed because otherwise you'll be saying that about everything. Like, my husband bought this dining table, it's my ADHD. And he said, I don't want to hear you say that. Like, yeah, having well, a so reaction. <laughs> but, um, but I, I, there is sometimes a very ferocious intensity 
with my actions and my thinking. And, you know, this podcast is a great example of, you know, people would say, you should do a podcast here. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, no, I'm not doing a podcast. I'm not, I'm just not doing one. No, I wouldn't. I, why would I do a podcast? It's like work, blah, blah, blah. And literally, I think the day that I um, turned three years sober, I was like, I'm going to do a podcast. And by the end of the day, I had set it up and recorded my first episode. And Amazing. It up there. And it's like, where does that come from? It's that hyper like, Do you know what I mean? Like, it's where great. does that come from? It's, it yeah. is a superpower. But anyway, I didn't mean to jump in, but um, no, I, love that. I, I was funny. thinking when you were talking, actually, your story bit I was thinking I wonder if she's ADHD that's what I was thinking I, get, I do get that a lot I mean yeah, since it's interesting I'm, I'm, it? it was actually it was one of my sister's friends was the one that mentioned it to me ages ago and I was like I'm not really sure whether to be offended or not and then the more I looked into it I was like mm, maybe I was like but don't we all show signs of certain things yeah well that's it isn't it yeah and now I'm, spectrum, I'm actually started, well I've started therapy as well that was a promise mm. I made to my husband when I quit drinking brilliant in his words, I needed to short, sort out my shit with my mum. Yeah. I needed to get it all straight in my own head, yeah. go through, open all the boxes Process of the childhood it. trauma. Yeah. And she said to me, she was like, I don't suppose you've ever been sort of referred for any sort of ADHD assessment. I went, oh, not you as well. Ah, <laughs> so, really? Yeah, so I'm now, I've, had, I've had a GP's appointment and I've got to go through like a 90-minute to three-hour assessment and wow. unpack a whole bunch of boxes um, to get that done. But... I was told initially, yeah, write down a couple of things that you struggle with. And I ended up getting completely hyper-focused on the list and I've written 23 things. So maybe that is evidence uh, in itself. Yes. But yes. It is, it's like you say, it is a superpower though, because when mm. you find something you absolutely love, you are all yeah. in. And That's it. I'm so like that with sobriety yes. now. Yeah, I and I was the same. Before. I was the same. Like very hyper focused, laser focused. Exactly yeah. that. And yeah, and I, I love it. So yeah, that was my main thing was... Uh, sobriety was going to be who I was it wasn't just going to be I'm going to snoop around on the internet oh I'm going to like a couple of posts oh no what if my friends see me liking these posts and then I said to my husband I was like oh what what do you think about me basically posting on my personal socials about going sober I said I don't want to seem like I don't want to be one of those people that comes across like oh you're it's like the next vegan I got called funnily enough by some Nobed for when I first came out as sober. <laughs> so sobriety is like the new vegan. And I was like, I'm sorry, I don't remember actually getting myself in any sort of physical danger from having a burger. But there we go. That's besides yes. the point. Yeah, um, yeah. So yeah, I I said to him about sort of making myself accountable. And he said to me, he said, I think it's a brilliant idea. He said, as long as you write it as yourself, so lighthearted, probably a bit potty mouthed, quite funny in places, but just explaining to people, this is my decision. To put it bluntly, I don't give a shit what other people do. They can drink themselves under the table every night of the week if they like. But for me, this is my time to go sober and this is what I'm doing. And it saved an awful lot of awkward conversations with friends as well because I'd already put it out there. So by the time I then see people next, the elephant in the room doesn't exist because I've done it. And people know my reasons. And I think that's made it a whole bunch easier. It really, really has. Because, yeah, I I don't like having to repeat myself to people and come up with like a party line if you like like I did when I was pregnant it was like oh I'm on antibiotics which clearly no one believed anyway mm-hmm. I, was like, I don't I don't want to have to fabricate the reasons why if they want the short version I'm an absolute asshole when I drink point blank not doing it anymore if they want the, if they want the long version then yeah we'll chat um yeah. So, yeah, I just, I did, I very much found social media, like, my main thing. I tried journaling, but shock horror, I can't concentrate on it for long enough. Mm. Um, And reading, 
I have to be really engaged to do reading. Otherwise, I've got no attention span whatsoever. So mm. that's why your podcast and the wonderful Sober Dave, his podcast, yes. they're like my main two. Um, yes. So I've got a five-mile cycle to uh, to work twice a week, which takes me half an hour. So I can, if you've got a long episode, I can do it there and back. Um, shorter ones, I'll just listen to a bit on lunch and do two a day. So, yeah, I caught up with yeah. all of yours really quickly, and now I have to wait each week. Oh, no! <laughs> Um, but yeah that that was kind of what I did I just made it so that if I had a quiet point in the day where I was struggling I had to fill my head with sober content otherwise it's that evil little shit voice isn't it that goes Mm -hmm. "Mm, maybe you've maybe you've grown out of your problem drinking now and then the other one going no you haven't don't be stupid yeah so yeah I just had to fight away those the weird side of my brain that still romanticizes feeling like death every weekend. <laughs> yeah. And you know what? That is so normal as well. That's, that's not a Sarah issue. Everybody yeah. has that challenge. And it's really funny actually, because I wrote about that on my thrive group. Um, Cause there were some people that were saying, Oh, you know, they've been having some really pop, like great positives this week. And, and, and there's a really nice feeling, a buzz on the group at the moment, which is, brilliant Uh, but I was kind of like right this is amazing but this is when you actually need to really ramp up your work and keep that daily practice going keep the reading keep the podcasts listen to at least one a day I was listening to nearly three a day in some days and you know I appreciate people you know think well how how were you doing that but uh, like you, every five minutes of the day, I was just, I had content coming in. Yeah, even if it's a quick scroll through Instagram, yeah. just to sort of top it up almost. Yeah. Yes. Ironically, probably like I used to a drinking. <laughs> I couldn't yeah. let myself yeah. sober up of a night. I had to just keep topping myself up to try and maintain that buzz. But now I get the buzz off of something else and something a damn sight more healthy. Yeah. So yeah, that is I I just have to I immerse myself in it. And I love it as well. Yeah, I love a good do. fact as well. Yeah. So if ever I see a little statistic or something, I'm like, oh, that's one for the one to keep in my head. I'll save that one for <laughs> that. That's brilliant. <laughs> So, yeah, yeah that's, that's what I've done. I, I think I, I think that is the it's a really simple approach, but it is so effective. Yeah, and I, I feel like I bang on about this all the time, but I'm just like, do your daily practice, do your daily practice, yeah. like keep it up, keep it up when you're feeling great. That's the bit. Yeah, when don't I, rest on your laurels. Yeah, and that's the bit yeah. that I worry about because I know how easy it is to get complacent in yeah. sobriety. And then what you do is you get into like that. I call it the hundred day moderation trap, Uh, but it might not be a hundred days. It could be six months in, or, Mm. you know, I've been sober twice before this. I did eight months and the moderation trap hit me then at eight months and said, you're probably going to be all right. I'm fixed. (laughs) I'm fixed. Um, And I was absolutely like you mentioned earlier on, I just went straight off a cliff. And you go back worse as well, I think. You go back worse. You do. Yeah. You definitely do. And so the only way that you get rid of that inner nudge or that kind of annoying voice in your brain that is constantly poking you to remember how great everything was <clears throat> is to just keep bombarding yourself with content, keep learning, keep undoing, unpeel the onion. Okay. Get yeah. to the core, get to the point where you've educated yourself so much that you just naturally remove the desire yeah. for alcohol because it doesn't bring you anything. And like, what I've also, I've made a point of almost scaring myself off of drinking as well. I now find the principle of being out of control of my own brain terrifying. Scary. Like the yes. idea of that sort of 
sitting down on the toilet at half ten when you've been out for dinner and you're the only one that's gone absolutely nuts on the table wine and you sit there in the room spinning and you go, shit, why am I like this? That sort of thing now terrifies yeah. me. Yeah. I can think of nothing worse. I'm exactly the same. I, I, I'm exactly the same. I say this, uh, and I've said this on this podcast before, that um, there was a time when if someone said to me, you can have this bottle of wine without any com- consequences, I would have gone, yeah, great, let, let's go for it. But at some point, and I can't remember exactly when that shift was, but I would say it was, yeah, I mean, fa- fairly early on, it'd been maybe in the first year, mm. at some point... Um, that shifted to no way I, because what yeah. I wouldn't want a mind altering substance to change how I feel and to make me feel floaty or woozy or not able to articulate myself. Yeah. All of that stuff. I would hate it now. Mm, absolutely. I, would, I think, I think the, the thing that turned the table to me is obviously because I'm still really early doors in my sobriety and I feel very fortunate to be in the headspace that I'm in so early. Yeah. I mean, I, I could absolutely dip in six months and as much as I know now that I will stick to it, I could I could suddenly struggle out of nowhere. But as it as it stands right now, I I just love everything about yeah. feeling feeling normal all the time. Yeah. Normal in inverted commas, as we say. But yes. Yeah, it's it's the whole. I, I don't even know how to describe it. It's that heady feeling. Yeah, I I now I just don't want that, and I think that shift for me happened when I first had a genuine belly laugh, giggle fit. So yes, that's the lovely is, moment, isn't there, it? There is no greater feeling than laughing so much it hurts because of yeah. something that is genuinely hilarious. Yes. Whereas when you're drunk, it's probably not funny at all. No. And it, and you kind of think, yeah, that was a really fun night. But was it though? Or was it all just fake? Yeah. And now, yeah. now and obviously I, I, I do not have any negative opinions on those that drink and the whole yeah. alleged 5% of people that can moderate all power to them. It, I yeah. think that's a superpower yeah. in its own right. But I, I know for me now that I really want my experiences, positive or negative, to be completely uninfluenced by any sort of substance. Mm. Yeah. And do you know what? I think that it is really worth saying uh, that – I uh, I understand what you're talking about, that something clicks. And that can happen at any point. And I think that there is a fear. And I, and I think that a lot of this fear, if I'm being honest, maybe comes from the AA recovery route that, you know, you always need to be, uh, you know, like... Keep practicing. You know, yeah, because it catches you off guard. Or, but my experience wasn't like that, right? I... Within the first 100 days, for sure, I knew I would never drink again. Yeah. And that has never changed. If anything, that feeling has only got stronger and stronger. Yeah. And I'm more sure. And nothing will change that. I'm telling mm. you now, the worst thing in the world could happen in my life. And I, I appreciate this could sound really arrogant. It, I'm not meaning to be arrogant. I just know how I feel in myself and in some ways when you're comfortable with your decision I I also want to I also want to stand in that power and I don't want other people's experience to dictate to me that well you might not feel that in 10 years no 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 I'm telling you right now I won't drink again and I think that shift can happen at any point I saw a friend last night she got to six months and it clicked 
I've seen people on on my group even that they're talking and they felt a shift and I can tell it's clicked. And yeah. they're in the early days and you're, you know, 100, 123 days, you know, still what you'd say early days. But, you know, when you know, I think you know. Yeah, you do. And you do. And it's that it's that gut instinct as well. I mean, for me now, don't get me wrong, I went out to a pub for the first time in Chelmsford City Centre for the England-USA game for the football. I was brought up, Go. I spent my teenage years, my early 20s, getting day drunk in my England shirt, throwing beer with the blokes. That was, it was just what we did. So yeah, I was thinking, oh, this is going to be a bit of a dodgy one. And in the end, I, I really thought to myself, if I'm going to struggle on any day, it's going to be today. And I had these really weird mocktails that I was more than happy with drinking. And I bailed out in the 88th minute because the game was crap. And I was in bed by 10. And I was so happy. And I thought, okay, if I can get through something that was probably my fondest memories of drinking, because I never really had any bad experiences with the football. Mm. If I can can switch what was never a bad thing into an even better thing, then I'm fine. Absolutely Absolutely. fine. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Um. Um, what a great feeling when you get to that point as well, when you just know. I just think that is, yeah. You're untouchable when you know. Yeah, it is so true. It is yeah. so true. And it's probably, di- I mean, I'm trying to think about people that are, you know, maybe have not had that feeling yet and that might be listening to this or, you know, and that might be making them disagree with, with, yes. with this. And I just want to say to those people, just keep going, keep soldiering on, Keep doing the daily practice, keep learning, keep like what Sarah's doing, what I did, keep filling your brain with content. Just keep going and it will happen. And when that click happens, you will know about it. And that's sort of like the only thing I can say about it really is that it will happen and you just, you will know when it's happened. It's expectation management, isn't it? I mean, I actually shared on my Instagram yesterday quite a ratty post, and I'm normally really positive on there because I see a couple of people saying, like, after 30 days, you'll have all the energy, you'll be able to get up, you'll do this. And I was just thinking, for me, that's bollocks. Mm. I still wake up every day at the moment knackered, Mm. And I could easily smash a family-sized dairy milk every day. But that's because <laughs> I have a hard job. I have a family to run. I've got three cats, a dog, a husband, a one-year-old, a 10-year-old stepson. Yes, yeah, a lot. No amount of not drinking is going to stop that from being tiring. Yeah. And that's fine. But yeah. I do feel like there's a lot of almost overly exaggerated positive content out there at the moment and I don't I just don't want that to dishearten people because Mm. like my skin still breaks out I haven't got an amazing sobriety glow yet but that's because Mm. my face is smushed by a by a chunky baby every day Mm. and she's got greasy grubby hands (laughs) you're doing sobriety wrong just because you don't feel amazing straight away no it's such mentally I feel great such a good point yeah mentally is the best thing ever I'm I'm clear-headed I mean, I still have my ugly cries, which I even posted that on my Instagram yesterday, which I never thought I'd do. But then I have days where I feel like an absolute superwoman. I'm in the 5am club. But the peaks and troughs are so natural now rather than induced by a five-day hangover or a come down. Yeah. So it, and do you it, know what? I, emotions of life. I, I think I remember my first um, 
year of sobriety and I and I remember my first 100 days really well and I remember how up and down things were but I had an underlying feeling of strength and positivity mm. but I you know some days I would wake up and I'd be like okay I feel really off today what's wrong with me and I wouldn't yeah. be able to wouldn't know you can't and put your finger on it you can't put your finger on it that is so true um but what I would say um and I I think that sobriety takes at least a year to properly mm. recalibrate and get into a proper group. It's every single annual first, isn't it? That's yeah. What I'm, I'm ticking them off. Like Christmas, yes. I'm looking forward almost to ticking it off, even though I love Christmas. Uh, yeah. Just to say that I've done it and I've survived unscathed. Yes. It's just yes. another occasion to get through. Yeah, it is. But, but there's so much that happens. There's so much um, disconnecting from the old life and the old yeah. way of doing things that you have to do in that first year, you have to do all the disconnecting and then you have to build up enough evidence to put in your evidence pot that you can have fun sober or, yeah. you know, go to a wedding sober or have a Christmas sober. And then there's all the up and down emotions that you can't put your finger on, but then start to make sense. So yeah. I, I remembered when things started to come up you know nearly a year in or just over a year in I'd be like okay they would start to just make a bit more sense and then you go forward and you know I just I just think that those sorts of periods of feeling up and down they don't happen as much now for me when I'm in like now like I'll be well in three and a half years now um but they just life is quite stable now yeah. but it wasn't like that in the first year like it definitely was up and down and I think you make a really good point there and that's one of the things that I I see as well I I, I see that sometimes the expectation is is, mm. is off and, yeah. and you know you have to expect it to be hard and you have to you have to expect it to take time like and um, I think people, because they're so used to the instant gratification of alcohol, like I feel like shit, have a bottle of wine. Yeah, I'm feeling amazing, right? You know, yeah. uh, uh, whatever. That we almost expect the same in sobriety. You have to work for your happiness you have now. to work for it, yeah. But it means more when you get it, I yes. think. Because yeah. you, the joy isn't as easy to get to, but it yeah. also lasts longer as well. It's little yeah. things for me. Like you would not have caught me going to going, freezing my ass off in Colchester Castle Park, going to a light display with my with my child on a Saturday night. I'd be thinking, but she could be in bed and I could be getting bladdered. Yeah, I am so buzzing just to see her little chilly face, her little red nose, and take wow. her and show her some lights. Yeah. And I think now that that joy, I would never be able to replicate that if alcohol was in my life because I wouldn't have room for it. No, it and also room. you wouldn't be tuned into it. Like even if you did that whilst you were still drinking, you'd be focused on when is this finished yeah, so okay, that we can just get home, her. But you wouldn't be really present in the Absolutely. moment. And that is actually, it's a simple pleasure, isn't it? Yeah. And like you Why say. It's simple now. So much yeah, simpler. It's, it's more simple. It. And, and the dopamine, you know, the dopamine spike that you get from alcohol is big and fast. And the dopamine spike you get from seeing your one-year-old's excited face is maybe not quite as big but and it's slower to come but it's up there for longer and it takes longer to come down and it's like having two kind of like having two hills almost and yeah and you can replicate it over and over again in one evening as well whereas when you've had that one drink I mean I was always I would always say it's it's the three beer mark when it's it's all downhill if I have three 
That was yeah. always the rule of thumb. In in hindsight, it was always the first one because we didn't have the first yes. one. You wouldn't have, yeah. But I was always, if it was three beers, right, I'm out for the duration. Whereas now, and I look back and think, how much of that night did I actually enjoy? Was it the mm-hmm. one, two, three? And was it out for the duration? Because by that point, I was too bamboozled to even go home. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. that's when that's when the wheels come off. It's because you, I couldn't any longer make rational decisions. Yeah. But all for the sake of one buzz of feeling relaxed after work. Yeah. It's it's crazy to me now. And yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I completely agree. And so what do you think has been the most difficult bit for you? It has been right. I came up with this analogy. I don't know how, I don't a weird thing. So I describe it as when you go when you go into sobriety, it's like moving to a brand new house. And you've got all your, all the stuff to unpack, but you've brought all the old boxes of shit that you haven't touched for years. You've brought them all with you, and now you're here, you've actually got to unpack them. And it is unpacking those boxes of childhood trauma, especially relationship trauma, all of the, frankly, quite horrendous things I've actually been through in my life, dealing them with a sober head and not being able to sort of cry into a strong bow about it anymore and actually having to think oh, maybe that's the reason I do this and then obviously speaking to a counsellor and I would never have done that when I was still drinking so yeah the hardest bit is it's feeling it's yeah. feeling feeling the bad stuff it's really tough because you f- you feel it like you've never felt anything mm. but then by the same token you then have the highs that you feel like you've never felt before too so yeah yeah I think the not drinking part itself hasn't been hard at all apart from the odd night out when you think oh could I couldn't I but yeah no it's 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 addressing what I was like when I was drinking has been tough as well and really learning to forgive myself because I I think I forget as well having I think naturally when you've been through a lot of trauma and especially in your childhood you naturally grow up quite quickly Mm. so I forget actually that I'm not even 30 yet so I I can actually still within reason look back and say oh I was young (laughs) about stuff that was only five years ago but when I was first first not drinking I thought what an absolute scumbag I was what what a dirty cow I hate myself Mm. um some of the decisions I made not not in my relationship now but in previous ones I would almost have really weird flashbacks and think oh my god that was a horrible thing that I did oh my god I can't believe I did that to that person Mm. but now I think that poor girl who was brought up in a vicious cycle of alcohol abuse not feeling stable and Mm. not having a primary parent I mean don't get me wrong my dad is an absolute saint like if you could write how a dad should be it would be him he's incredible um and he obviously had no idea any of this was going on because he he didn't live with us after after I was four um so yeah I had all of that instability all of that shite to deal with and I think that no I just want to give her a hug now Mm. and I want to tell her that it doesn't matter that it took her five years to stop the drinking from first realizing it was a problem because she did it and five years is such a tiny proportion of your life yes so yeah that that is bit the emotional roller coaster is just it has been really really tough but really good but you're doing it and you're facing yeah. it and you're an absolute rock star for doing that <laughs> I, I think that's so nice as well because I I really feel the same about when you look back at yourself with some compassion and for the situation that you were in as a kid. And I know I heard on on um, a podcast the other day 
that somebody was talking about if you picture your two-year-old or your four-year-old self, what you, you know, really visualize what you would have looked like mm. and how innocent and sweet and just gorgeous you would have been at that, you know, cute and saw that. Yeah. And then like that person deserves nice things. That yeah. person deserves happy things. They deserve, they deserve a good life. They deserve love. And I always find that process of looking at myself as a little child, I find it quite emotional sometimes because in some ways I think, I grew up because of my environment feeling not good enough mm. and I felt like I didn't deserve a lot of things and that then carried on in my relationships because I chose people that treated me I suppose the same way my mum did. Set, you set the bar low when <laughs> you, you set have the bar low. Yeah. yeah. And 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 then you make all these mistakes and then and then that just fuels all that shame. So then you just end up like really really hating yourself. Yeah. And and then when you go through this process, you put the drink down, you start to do this work that you're finding very painful and challenging probably right now. But you look back, you grow that compassion for yourself and you just think, God, that poor person, that poor little mm. kid was just like your own child now, yeah. really, you know, and that yeah, had to be exposed to all those different things or problematic behavior or, or trauma, whatever it is. And you can understand why that person got lost along yeah. the way. And you just want to go back. I just want to go back and hug myself. Yeah. Now. Same thing. I just feel like, oh, Terry, you poor thing. Like, come yeah. here. Give me a hug. It's, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Sad. It's sad, really, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, and when you, the more you sort of learn about your own behaviors, I mean, I've, I'm massive for watching documentaries, like psychology documentaries and stuff like that. And honestly, people would have a field day just going through the some of the ridiculous mistakes I made in in not I weren't even relationships but I now look back and the lack of attention and care that I got from my mum I then looked for in terrible relationship choices because mm. that was how I was taught that you get love yeah. and affection by just yes. oh we'll just we'll just get a man to validate how we're supposed to be yeah. finished I mean, that's how we find love and I look back mm. and I think I was like 17 18 years old making these decisions and I just think you poor girl, like I want someone to teach you how to do this properly. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I don't, I mean, I used to just think, oh, no, she was, for want of a much better expression, she was just a bit promiscuous and mm. just pissing about with blokes and drinking too much. But now I just think, no, she was exactly. a victim of her situation. She was yeah. looking for, she was looking to feel loved and wanted. Yes. And yeah. it is it is tragic, really. And I feel I could cry for my old self now. Yeah, no, same. I, I nearly, like, I could feel the emotion rising in me then, really. Because, yeah. like, I still, it feels still very raw. Yeah. You're back at that stuff. And because you spent so many years getting it wrong about yourself and d doing yeah. yourself a, a, a disservice. Absolutely. And even that, that's hard to process. Mm. Because then you just think... God, I and even I wasn't there for myself. Yeah. You know, but of course you weren't because you didn't know well, how to be. You don't understand the environment and you don't, you just, yeah, we're not all psychologists, are we? I mean, we're yeah. all learning lots and lots. I mean, mental health and all this kind of information is becoming so much more available through 
like therapists, counseling, even Instagram, and just being able to talk to people on a show like this. Like we're so much more on top of this sort of stuff. And back in my mum's day or like, yeah, but like when I was a teenager, no one was talking about mental health. Like, Mm. you know, you would sleep with someone and you're just a slag for doing it. And that's that's it. Like, And that's so, what I, that's the view I held of myself for years. I was just thinking, oh, slag. Yeah. <laughs> she was, I, and the thing is, I never, I never dressed in such a way that I would have been branded that. But my actions in my head, it was just, well, that must be just what I am then. Mm-hmm. If that's, if this is how I'm behaving, maybe this is just me. And maybe the self fulfilling prophecy for me, that whole people saying stuff, I'm feeling stuff, blokes are treating me like shit the cycle yeah. just repeats and you go yeah. further and further down. But now with a self-fulfilling prophecy objective, I think the more I tell myself that I'm going to stay sober, the sh- more ingrained it gets. So I'm now using something that used to be so negative in such a positive way. Yeah. And you're changing your life. Yeah. And and the direction of your children's life. Um, well, a whole new life opportunity yeah, now, I think. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. So what's been the best bit? Freedom and control at the same time, which sounds like a complete paradox, but I've got the absolute freedom to, if anyone needs me at any time of day, I'm always going to be fine. I never have to worry about not going to something on a Sunday because I'm going to be hanging out my ass and trying not to throw up in a plant pot, (laughs) which I have actually done at a baby shower. (laughs) So all those sorts of things and just... And literally whatever I want to do, I can now do because nothing is holding me back from doing it. Yeah. But by the same token, I've also got control of my own decisions. I've got boundaries. I've, mm. I'm just so secure in myself and what I want from life and what more so what I don't want. And I think yes. getting that independence back and just pulling your whole life away from a substance that makes you frankly a dickhead in my point, in my case, I, I just don't think you can beat that. I mean, I'm, I'm just, yeah, I'm living it, my life how exactly how I want to do it. I'm not repeating a toxic circle anymore. I've broken a chain of events that could have quite easily gone a really, really dark place. Yeah. That mean, if I carried on, if I was still drinking now, I mean, judging by my last episode, I don't know what I would have done to myself. So, yeah, just looking back now, I just think I'm I'm so free from it, and I'm yeah. so grateful and lucky to not have something in my life anymore that had the ability to destroy everything. Yeah. So, yeah. I've just I've got me back. Yeah, that's and nice. I quite like me, it turns out. <laughs> yeah, that's really lovely though, isn't it? Like I I yeah, I agree with everything you're saying. I feel the same way. And do you know what the really, really lovely lovely thing is? You don't stop feeling that way. No. I still wake up now and still think, oh my God, I'm I'm just I'm so happy with what I've got in my life, with who I am, that I don't drink, that I'm not hungover. Not the- being hungover is the best feeling. And do you know what? I genuinely sometimes get excited waking up on a weekend and going, oh, I feel great. Yeah. <laughs> I don't feel sick. This is brilliant. <laughs> Isn't that so funny? <laughs> but it's such a ridiculous thing as well. But I think when, for people, especially like me, who had such bad so-called anxiety that I would literally have suicidal thoughts some days, Aww. not having that anymore, I can't explain how much lighter and brighter my brain is. And mm. even more than the bending over to do a baby's nappy and you feel like your brain's going to fall out your ears. It, aside from the physical hangover, the mental hangover, not having that is never going to get boring. 
Yeah. I don't see how it could get boring because it doesn't. It's, it's just the best you know, thing. It doesn't. And I, you know, I know I, I'm three and a half years in, so it's not, you know, but I've got I've got people that reach out to me on Instagram that are 10 years, 20 years, and they say the same wow. things. Like it it never goes away, that feeling. No one regrets not no one ever regrets not drinking. And I yeah, think that no. seems to be the biggest thing that I cling on to. Well, that's a phrase that I've heard. No one ever regrets not drinking. And I love that. Yeah, it's so true. It's so true. You don't regret getting sober. Um, So what would be the top three tips that you've got for people listening? So my first one is to have confidence in your own choice, especially for people like me who are in their late 20s, early 30s, where... Uh, it's it's not particularly commonplace, obviously, in any generation to be completely teetotal. But for my generation, especially, people look at you a bit like, what? <laughs> you, you mean you don't do something that literally everyone does? Right? Yes, I know, I know. But if you if you wear it well enough and you put enough fake confidence into it, eventually you will start to believe it yourself anyway. And I think if someone turns around and she says, oh, go on and have one, the minute you put that wall up and you know exactly what words you're going to say, no one can help, no one can break that down again. And I think, yeah, but owning it, being sure of yourself, even if you have to fake it so you make it kind of thing, I think that is so important because then people learn not to try and encourage you otherwise as well. People are less likely to sort of jab at you if they think they're not going to get anywhere. So, yeah, yeah, that's that's something that I found really useful. Um, My next tip would probably be changing the narrative of not drinking was huge for me. Um, because <laughs> I don't know what it was about it. When I first stopped drinking, so probably the time before my actual proper first day one, I felt like a bratty child going, oh, everyone's drinking, everyone can drink, and mm. I can't. I'm the one that's yeah. missing out. But actually, flip it on its head, I'm not missing out at all because I'm gaining the fact that I'm not going to feel like a bag of shit the next day. So I completely switching it all around and thinking about all the things that I'm going to benefit from, remembering the why, all that sort of the little phrases and quotes that we all say in the sober community, just honing in on them and just drumming them into yourself all the time and just remembering that however hard it is to not drink, it still feels better than giving in. Yeah. And then I think my last one, I don't know if I made this phrase up. Probably not. I've probably read it on the back of a bloody cereal box or something and just decided that it's mine. But I think to remember, the days are longer than the nights. So when when you first obviously quit drinking, I mean, for me, my husband still goes out like he has his boys night every last Friday of the month and then they go and get all embarrassing without us women there and then they come back with the tails between their legs early the next morning feeling like shit so all evening initially I'd be like oh just clock watching oh I hope he's all right and then I thought to myself actually he's out for a few hours compared to the whole of the next day when I'm gonna feel amazing and he's not (laughs) so that small couple of hours in the evening like that's nothing compared to the whole amount of time isn't it yeah so I really I sort of put things into perspective for myself when it comes to getting feelings of FOMO and thinking the FOMO is not going to last as long as the hangover would Mm. so yeah I think that's really good advice it's it's all very very logical things that I have to just repeat to myself all the time I have to have I have to have things that I can either write down or repeat or things that I can post things that are easy to refer back to 
Yes, yeah, like snappy headlines almost. Yeah, yeah, I like. I that. love a good quote. I can't. I think it ties yeah. in with my stats and stuff. I just, I, I like things that you can sort of, you can just stamp down and go right. That's exactly why. I tell you the quote that really, um, uh, yeah, really struck a chord in me, and it's a Buddha quote, and it says, "The problem is you think you have time." Oh wow! It's I like, like when I when I read that, I was like, "Oh God!" And I, I was fairly newly sober and it just really hit me so I just thought we we drink and we go about our lives like we like we're going to be here for 100 years or like we're going to be here forever you know because no one really thinks about death or yeah yeah or kind of like when our time might end and then it's just that thought of wasting time every day week in week out every year and like time goes so fast doesn't it like I can't believe that now we are in December. I mean, yeah, what's the summer ago? I mean, it's just, you know, my daughter, I, she's nearly two. I yeah. mean, where is this time going? And so I do feel like time is flying, but I do feel like I'm aware of all my time and I'm using all yeah. my time and I'm doing things as if I haven't got t- time forever, if that makes sense. Yeah. Like, I feel like I live my life like that. So that quote, the problem is you think you yeah, have that's time. Lovely. It's just like, wake up. Yeah. You know what I mean? Don't, don't, basically just don't piss it up the wall. You're only going to do it once. Yeah. <laughs> just, just do it. Just get sober and start living before yeah. it's all over, basically. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> don't know if that's a kind of like a positive ending or a bit of a, bit of a, bit of a down ending, but yeah, <laughs> I mean, it's meant to be inspirational. <laughs> so. I, I like it. I like it. I mean, I'm, I've always said when I first started doing this, I was like, I always put a little disclaimer in my Instagram. I'm a potty mouth. It's how I communicate. <laughs> it works for me. I mean, my husband swears like a trooper. We are terrible, but <laughs> it works and it's meant with humor. And yes. yeah, I think I'm not, I don't take it too seriously. I think. Yeah. That's it. You have to be who you are as well, right? You have to stand in who you are and be who you are. Um, And yeah, and that is a nice feeling when you have the confidence to be the person that you are and not who you think you're meant to be or who you should be. I never used to do at all. I mean, I was always a bit of a chameleon, I think. Whereas now I'm so stubborn and set in my ways. I'm like, no, I'm not doing that because that's not what I want to do. No, I'm the same. I'm I'm the same. I think, I think when I am in a situation with someone, if there's a pink elephant, I'll call it out. Yeah. Like, I'm just like, no, I, we need to address this thing here. And this is what I think about it. And this is a, yeah. and people find that probably quite abrasive. And yeah. I try to do it gently. <laughs> My husband might disagree because he thinks I'm really <laughs> blunt. But, um, but I just, I'll just be like, why shouldn't I say this? Like, I'm not trying yeah. to offend someone. Let's just be open. Let's be real. Let's be yeah. honest. Let's get your cards on the table. Yeah. yeah. Life, is, life is too short to compromise on things that you don't want to do. I yeah, think. I totally agree. You sound like my kind of girl, so <laughs> Very straight talking, but like to make it fun. <laughs> I'm also a potty mouth as well, but for some reason I managed to read it in on my social media. Yeah, I, I must admit, my husband did say to me, it was like, when you do this podcast, he was like, are you going to like talk like normal? <laughs> I was like, I'm probably reading it in a little bit, naturally. Oh, that's funny, that's funny. Um, so if you're open to sharing your journey, where can we find you? 
So yeah, I'm on Instagram. My handle is she's not drinking. Um, which funnily enough is because when I first went sober, I heard my husband on the phone just talking about me saying, Oh yeah, she's not drinking. And I was like, Oh, oh I can't like that. Because I think people are probably gonna say that about me quite a lot over the coming months. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's just she's not drinking, all one word. And yeah, I'm on Instagram and that is pretty much all I use. Um, there is a lot of potty mouth posting on there. It is my dedicated sobriety account. Um, and yeah, so you can follow every ridiculous thing that I do on there. <laughs> oh, I'm sure lots of people will. Um, thank you so much. You're an absolute superstar. And I, I've loved getting to know you today and hearing your story. And I think there's a lot of information in there that's going to be really helpful for people listening. And I hope you know, so. that, that, is... that feels nice to give back, doesn't it? Yeah, like... it does. Yeah. And I've been so excited to talk about this. I mean, I do, I think you'll probably find the same. There's only so much you can talk to your husband about it before they're like, yes, I know you don't drink. <laughs> <laughs> so being able to share it with someone who is as passionate about it as I am is, is great. I love it. I know I'm with you. I could literally talk about it all day. Yeah, um, me too. So it's it just feels like such an achievement yeah. to be such a massive binge drinker and now it's not just not anymore. anywhere to be seen yeah. and it's something I always feel fiercely proud of yeah. and you should too because you're doing amazing um thank you yeah so well that's it thank you so much and thank you to everybody else who has listened and catch you next time Did you know that you can now get access to more of my content, education, support and guidance in the new Thrive community platform? Thrive is a place to connect with like-minded individuals who are all on the journey of living alcohol free. You can gain access to materials and a video library of toolkit ideas which will help keep you grounded as well as boost your emotional sobriety. It's a place to celebrate milestones, big or small, and connect with me directly via weekly lives and a weekly Q&A session in Zoom. No matter where you are in your quest to live a happy, free and sober life, there is plenty to gain from Thrive. Membership is just £20 a month and none of the internal tools are gated, so you won't be asked to pay more for courses and tools once you're in there please head over to www.sassysobermum.com slash thrive or click the link in my Insta bio. Look forward to seeing you. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. If you're interested in being a guest, please contact me directly on Instagram by sending a message to at sassysobermum. You can also find helpful tools and resources on my website, sassysobermum.com. If you enjoyed the podcast and you want to spread the love, please like, share and rate the podcast. I really look forward to next time. See you then.